Stephen. Puts a tear in your eye. It's most touching. Unbelievable. Very heartwarming. On Pandora, the phrase, I see you, means I understand you, I know you, I accept you. And I uh, can't believe I'm actually using this this morning, but it's so fitting because as human beings, that's a cry of our heart. That's a cry of our soul is we want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be accepted. We want to be understood. We want others to see us. And it's interesting, when that movie came out a number of years ago, and they just had the, a new one come out just recently, uh, they actually have something called PADS. And what it means is post-avatar depression syndrome. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are folks that got caught so much up in that movie, in the idealism of that movie, and all of what was going on and just the simplicity of life and the desire to be seen and to see others is that they had to actually come up with some clinical counseling for this. And yeah, that's, uh, it seems silly to us, but it's also a message to us that we desperately, want to be seen. We desperately want to be known, understood. And sometimes we feel that people just look right through us. It's graduation time and graduation party time. And, and sometimes you get to invited to a party where you don't know anybody. And you feel like everybody just sees, doesn't even see you. They see through you. And you kind of like mingle, but you're really not mingling. Or sometimes even at church, you go out and have a cup of coffee, and you're out there, and you feel like you're not seen, or you are seen, and people just talk about the weather, and oh, da-da-da-da-da-da, and 
you're really not understood. You're really not known. And then when it comes to faith and the possibility of there being a God, and some of us are still wrestling with that, and some of us have said, yes, there is a God, but we still at times wonder if he really sees us, if he really understands us, if he knows us and even really wants to know us. Maybe he knows a lot about us. We have verses that talk about he knows the amount of hair, the numbers of hair on our head, and so he knows the facts about us. But does he know us? Does he know us by experience? Does he really, really want to have a relationship with us and walk with us? Because we know us, and sometimes we don't like us. So this idea of I see you is such a basic human need. It's been hardwired into us. So when a movie like that comes out and you kind of, you know, over, well, it's overdone or whatever, it, it's based on an anticipation that people do want to see. In an ideal world, people would actually see us, know us, and understand us. Way back in the Older Testament, even before we get to uh, Samuel, uh, we have the situation with Abraham, Abram and Sarah, Sarai, taking things into their own hands, and uh, she's not getting pregnant, and so the custom of the day was that I could have a surrogate, and uh, Sarai's maidservant, kind of like a slave or whatever, uh, she would be the surrogate, Abram sleeps with her, is expecting and then a little bit later time, a few years later, finally, God does come through in a sense. And, and Abraham and Sarah do have a child. It's a miracle child. But there's still this son, Ishmael, uh, who is from Hagar and Abram. And uh, she's basically driven out because Sarai gets jealous. Why? why, why it, that seems to be all normal human responses, even though not right. And just, it just he gets, he gets, they get driven out, and she's gone off, and she's basically come to the conclusion: I'm just going to, you know, sit in this desert and just die. And uh, my son, I'm putting him far enough away so I can't watch him die. I'm by myself, and all of a sudden, God intervenes, and God makes a way for her. And this is what she says: She says, "The Lord, or the Lord, talked to Hagar. She began to." Use a new name for God. She said to him, you are the God who sees me. She said this because she thought, I see that even in this place, God sees me and cares for me. So obviously the application, we might know it in our head or might try to even wrestle with it. But the, the application, the truth is, is no matter where you are in life. No matter the place you are, the stage you are, the age you are, there's a God that sees you, wants to know you, and hasn't made it possible. He, he won't force himself on you. Even when you know him, he won't force himself on you. But he sees you and cares for you. And that hits home. Because we need 
a God, a Savior in our life who sees us and cares for us in spite of ourselves so much that he gave his son to make it possible that you and I can have a relationship with God. And so there's, there's good news, the fact that God sees us and cares with us. But then there's also some bad news. God sees me. He knows me. And it creates a little uncomfortability. He, he knows how my heart is wired. And we see this in the story of Samuel and then Saul. And then today we're going to start to be introduced to David. And God sees all three of those hearts. He knows what's going on in those hearts. And he sees how the interior of our hearts are bent. He knows what's going on there. He can cut through all the baloney, all the disgenuineness, the fakeness. He can cut through it and really see where our hearts are at. And we can look at people in the scriptures and we can see the way they express their interior life, the way they act around with their surroundings, get an idea of how they're wired. And we can see with Samuel that he had a real sadness over sin. It grieved his heart, not in a self-righteous way, but it just broke his heart, the consequences of sin. And he sees this in Saul's life, and he's just so, so discouraged. The king that he had been led to anoint is, is, just, is just not bent towards God. His interior life is not great. His exterior life kind of sometimes looks great, but it's not that great. And Samuel is just heartbroken by that. So we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel. Uh, you can find that in the uh, Rack Bible around you if you want to look along that way. Uh, that's page 194. If you don't have your own personal copy of God's Word, uh, you know, please take that one as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Anyone listening online, if you want a paper copy of the Bible, uh, let us know. Fill out a connecting card, and we'll see how we can make that happen for you. Also, there is YouVersion, free Bible app, uh, fantastic. It has reading plans in it, all kinds of stuff, lots of resources. Please take advantage of that. So, beginning in verse 1, we see that there's real sadness. Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Go back a couple weeks, last week, and you'll know why that all takes place. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. I don't know about you, but if you're Samuel, you say, we've done this once before. I don't want to do this again. Hey, I anointed Saul, the one you sent to me. Is there another, another idea here? Let's just not go with kings. This didn't, this didn't work out that well. But he goes on. We'll see in a few verses. But again, he is just grieving. He's just bothered. We see back in Psalms, I cry rivers of tears because nobody's living by your book. 
NIV says, for your law is not obeyed. And again, the first thing we do when we see this is we think of others that aren't living by his book. But before I even get there, I need to ask, how am I not living by his book? I have to ask myself that question. And uh, this may sound a little harsh, but if you can't find any places where you're not living by his book, well, I dare say you haven't looked hard enough because none of us are perfect. And the reason I want to live by his book is so that I can point to God in the most effective, pleasing way so that there's less static on the line when it comes to his spirit living within me once I've said yes to Christ and accepted the gift of salvation, the new life through Christ. I, I, I want to be as close as possible, so I don't want any friction. So when there is sin in my life, I want to know about it. I don't want to uh, have it be guilt produced i want it to be holy spirit produced i want conviction and i i don't want to be overcome with that but i want just enough that i keep growing and moving forward with my relationship with god and so samuel is very mindful of this and uh, that shows the bent of his heart also we see his interior the bent of his heart this way is there is a genuine confidence even when threatened as a Christ follower, when you feel threatened, whether it's by circumstances, whether it's another person, how do we respond? When you're backed into a corner with no reasonable Christ-like response to it, do you lash out? Do you get rough? Do you act unchristlike or do you have a calmness to life and there's a genuine confidence it's not pleasant in the moment but there's a genuine confidence even when you're threatened you can trust god how are you with that when you're tired last night cindy yesterday you seen i had a really long day ending with waterloo's graduation and we were driving home, and there was just some little dumb little thing, and I could just tell we were on the edge. If I responded wrongly or she responded wrongly, it was going to get ooh, a little testy. It's a good thing she's not in here. It was all her, not me. I was acting like Yeah, she'll watch this in an hour or two, and I'll be in big trouble. Sorry, honey. Forgive me. Uh, but how do you act? I could feel it. And we had had those, well, those reasons to be that way. We're tired. But backing off from it and moving in a different direction. When you feel threatened in the little things or the big things, how trusted are you and I? But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. little lesson here, and I almost don't dare say it, but you don't have to tell everything that's going on in your mind. Sometimes you've got to keep it inside. Samuel didn't have to say the whole story. 
He was on to do the sacrifice. He was doing that. He didn't have to tell the rest of the story. Now, there's some times where you do need to tell the rest of the story. There are some times where we can give half information in a situation where we're trying to um, unpack something, untie a knot. Then everything needs to be on the table. But there are some times where all the information isn't fitting for the situation. And you, so you just need to understand that. You don't use that as an excuse. If you're walking with the Spirit, if you're following God's lead, and there's not so much friction on the line when you're talking to God, that connection, then you kind of know how to walk through those things. So anyway, he's threatened, but he goes anyway. What if? What if? What if? He goes, I will go anyway. I will follow your lead. Sometimes we're in a situation where doing the right thing seems to increase our feeling of threatenedness rather than decrease it, and we find ourselves pushed into a corner and we see that we don't trust God. I've shared with you years ago, there was a situation where I was just out of college, and I was working at this place, and I was getting pushed for something, and something I had shared, hadn't shared, and I said, yeah, I shared it one person, when I had actually shared it with two people, and the person I said this to, my boss, knew it was two, not one, and he said, that's kind of funny. Someone, someone said the same thing. Busted. Why? Because I was scared of my boss. I was threatened. I should have just said two people, now the problem gone. He wouldn't have liked it, but that was okay. What do we do when we're threatened? Do we follow God's lead? Do we lean in or do we lean away? This reflects the bent of our heart, our interior. The Lord is with me, so I will not be afraid. No one on earth can do anything to harm me. I add outside of God's plan for me, and being outside of God's plan for me is more harm than being comfortable outside of God's plan. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Sometimes I believe it, and sometimes I don't. Every scenario, I go, ah, if I was in that scenario, hopefully I would respond like this. I, I, I can hope, I can plan, but I'm not so arrogant that I would say I will always do the right thing. So that causes me to have my guard up a little bit more. Not guard against people, but guard up on my own soul, my own heart. So I trust God. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Sometimes I have to keep saying that over and over and over in my mind. I need to meditate on it, digest it, chew it, suck all the juice out of that for anything it's worth. You know when you have a new piece of gum and it's got all the flavor in it, and it's like, mmm. Got to do that to scripture. Got to hold on to it. Some of us aren't good with memory, so we have to write it down and have it on our phone, have it on a card, have it somewhere so we can pull it out and know I can trust the Lord. He is with me. I will not be afraid. So we've got that. We've got that going on that shows the bent of our interior. Also, there's this idea, there's this a love expressed by living the way. And you go, what is that? You know, it's capitalized way. In the New Testament, you see in Acts and places like that that people were followers of the way. 
followers of Jesus. There's some churches that say, I'm, we're church of the way. Before they were called Christians, the way was out there. And uh, they followed the way. They belonged to the way. They owned the way. That is uh, language for integrating faith into their life. It's the way they lived. In Acts, we read, arresting anyone who were followers of the way. Oh, wow, that's tough. You're getting arrested for being a follower of the way. Or you belong to the way. But there was still trust. I'm in God's hands. And thankfully so far in our experience living where we live, we don't have to worry about being arrested for being followers of the way. We do have to be aware that sometimes we're put down. Sometimes we're made fun of being being followers of the way. Sometimes I have to ask myself, is, I have to convince myself that the small cost for following the way could be ridiculed a little bit or a lot. Remember one time I was asked to uh, do a prayer for the city hall in, in Concord, New Hampshire. Every once in a while, the, the town people, the selectmen, the board, whatever they would call them, would have a pastor come in and open up their meeting with a prayer. And I remember saying, okay, now what do I pray? And one of my lines of thoughts in the prayer was that all the decisions would be that would be made, uh, you know, wouldn't uh, cause any council person to to uh, lose sleep over the night. So I was just thinking, if I was a council member and I was making these decisions, and they were hard decisions, I might I might lose sleep at night. So you know, maybe they make decisions where they you know wouldn't lose sleep. And if I was very eloquent, I probably was. You know, I had written it all out and all this stuff. And afterwards, the mayor got up and made fun of my prayer. He said, Pastor, thank you. Hopefully we'll get a good night. You know, he just made fun of that. And that was sincere. And I'm like, ooh, that kind of hurt a little bit. But big deal. He made a little fun. I mean, you know, you know, the things that we're laying on the table a lot of times are not uh, as uh, crucial or as hard as, as, we, as we think they are. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He always lived by the way. We have Samuel, you have accounts for him. It's like 10 years goes by, and Samuel's still plodding around being a, a judge. And then when he switches up and he's no longer, he's in semi-retirement, more of a spiritual counselor, but not leading the nation of Israel. He's still kind of doing his thing. Uh, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Because, you know, when the prophet showed up, a lot of times it was bad news. If you look at the Old Testament, it's not great the prophet's here. No, usually he's about to tell you something that's going to at least step on your toes. And so we just see, though, Samuel's rhythm of life, steady following God, living the way as it is expressed in the Old Testament. And then you and I as Christ followers, as New Testament Christians, live the way as we integrate faith into me. He says, yes, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself. Separate yourself unto him. Uh, those kinds of ideas. And come to the sacrifice with me. Make sure you're right with the Lord. We might consecrate ourselves when we celebrate communion. We just want to make sure we're right with the Lord. We confess sins, uh, hopefully really with repentance in mind, to come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jace, Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
So when we think about living the way, there's that very familiar idea. We see Jesus saying it in the Newer Testament. We also see it back in the Older Testament. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. I love that little rendition, all, you know, fully in love with God. All, not 90%, but all in. Love him with all you've got. Write these commands that I've given you today on your hearts. Use a sticky note and put them somewhere is what he's saying. Get them inside you so they're a part of you. Then it's easier to live the way, to live in the rhythms of God when they're inside us, when they're who we are. Saul did it externally, not inside him too much. Samuel inside him. And it's so important that the verse goes on and says, and then get them inside your children. But they need to be inside you first. Our little mission statement, make a difference in people's lives, wherever they are, by leading them in a growing relationship with God means that you and I need to be in a growing relationship with God. We can't lead someone where we're not going ourselves. So when it comes back to our kids, if you want them in a growing relationship with God, you need to be in a growing relationship with God. You first own it, get it inside you, and then you transfer it to your kids. And when that's the case, it's a little easier because they just see who you are. We're somewhere, I don't know, in the last day or so, and talking about how kids just pick up your words you use. The bad words you use, the comments you use. And somewhere I was talking with somebody, and they said their their little one's just getting into the talking lot, and and they often will say to their little one, in a minute. And so what does their kid say to them? Pick up your toys in a minute. You know, I, it's just kind of funny. You know, but but that's just it's natural. So if you get it in you, own it for yourself and then have integrated it into your life, then it's easier for your children, your grandchildren, those that are important to you. When they see you doing it, when they see you owning it, they pick it up too. Talk to them about, talk about them wherever you are. Make it a regular part of life. Um, you know, when, when, when our kids were young, because we were like church, 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 the kids had a Christian, we had a Christian school at the church, and so they just like church, 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 church. So, so we, this is going to sound terrible, we didn't do like a family official devotional time. Yes, I read Bible stories before they went to bed, but there wasn't this big teaching time. But what we did is we watched when everyday life was unfolding, and we tried to figure out how to interact and engage the fact that God's just around us doing things. And, and for us, that, at least for me, that was actually harder than having a set time. Because I had to be engaged and my mind needed to be open. Here's a teaching moment. Use it. It's happening right in front of us. Uh, some of you I know, um, you see an ambulance go zipping by. You pray for that. Pray, pray for what's going on. Somebody's in distress. So if you have young kids, older kids, you pray. You pray. You bring that into your regular life. If that's a reflection of who you are. You don't manufacture this stuff. Don't just start doing that because... I said to do it. You, you, you let your what's in you naturally come out. Again, this shouldn't be a lot of work. You need to be a little intentional about it, but it shouldn't be agonizing, kind of like making it happen. 
walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Make it a rhythm of our lives. So you've got uh, God sees how our hearts, our interiors bent. He also kind of very similar. God sees the interiors substance, what we're made of. We see this happening as uh, Samuel starts to check out all the brothers. There's going to be seven of these. They arrive one after one. The first one comes, and surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's handsome. He, he, in a sense, is a duplicate of Saul. Samuel, I don't blame him, but uh, here's a good-looking guy. He looks like he's got a commanding press. This is a king. That's what I thought when I saw Saul. Maybe he's a little different. You and I can fall into the same kinds of traps, redoing the same thing. But God looks at the inside. But the Lord said to Samuel, Eleb is tall and handsome, but don't judge by, judge by things like that. God doesn't look at what people see. People judge by what is on the outside. But the Lord looks at the heart. Elab is the, not the right man. Goes on and on and on. So, Solomon, I mean, Saul finally, I mean, Samuel, <laughs> too many S's. Samuel finally just keeps looking, going through all the guys. Is this it? Seven sons passed before him. And the Lord has not chosen any of these. God looks at our heart. So, you know, that, that, should, that should encourage us too. Because I tell you, sometimes, I'm sure it doesn't ever happen to you, I'm in a situation where not in an egotistical way, I think my heart's pretty right. And the people on the outside of me aren't picking up that vibe at all. And uh, I feel bad about that. And I need to fall on the fact that God knows my heart. And there's times where I just got to let it stand and not defend myself. Even though I want to defend myself, I want to take things into my own hands. But God knows. So I should encourage you. God knows your intentions. He knows your heart. Even when you have good intentions and it blows up, God knows that you are trying to move in the right direction. And I think he values that and appreciates that. He does want us to get better at doing those things, but he still values it. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we're like all in the wrong kind of a thing. So God reads our heart. The flip side of that, though, is just as scary. <laughs> God reads your heart. You and I can package everything on the outside and uh, looks really good. And even all those around us, even sometimes I can fool Cindy, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, it's wrong. God, God knows that. God sees the substance, the, the, the what is making up that decision. He, he, he knows why I'm moving in that direction, even if I have all these great ideas on the outside, but those aren't really the real motivations of doing something. He, he knows, and he cuts right through that. So it works, it works both ways, because people's view is eclipsed by the exterior. See somebody that looks like he's got it all together, she's got it all together, family looks like they're all together. We're like, wow! I remember one time we were doing this sermon series and 
It was called, there was a section in it like stock family, you know, like the picture perfect family. And there was actually this picture we had on the screen and everyone was like dressed in white and, you know, just like the perfect pose, you know, looked like Ken and Barbie dolls with perfect kids. And what the funniest thing was is that Sunday there was a family traveling through Concord and they all sat in the front row and they looked like the family on the screen. It was the funniest thing. I'm going, that's the stock family. They're here. I'm like, what? you know, I mean, and I, I, it was almost like embarrassing because the screen looked just like them and they're talking, you know, we're talking about this and there they are, you know, I, you know it almost looked like a setup. So, you know, we're eclipsed by the exterior. All of us come on a Sunday morning. You've heard me say this before. We all walk with limps. Some of the limps are obvious. Some are not so obvious. But we all have them. I love this. And every time I, I try to read through the Bible basically every year, and I always come to this passage, and I always share it with my girls, telling them this is the way I feel about them. Gabriel greeted her. This is Mary. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. And uh, I tell the girls, you're beautiful inside and out, and I really believe that. Keep your inside as beautiful as your outside. And uh, that just, that means a ton to me, this idea of interior versus exterior. Uh, God's view is focused on the interior. He sees that. Again, verse 7 talks again, I don't look on the outside as people do, I look on the inside, and uh, he understands that. Uh, we just have lots of passages about this concept uh, when it comes to the king as a future days after David. Uh, we see God is always at alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. You were foolish, Asa, to go for human help when you could have had God's help. Now you're in trouble. And it goes on to talk about Asa. Asa had had a great victory when he had none of the resources. God stepped in and made it happen. Years later, same kind of scenario. Asa, instead of turning to God, turns to his neighbors, makes some deals with them, and expects them to save him and avoid war. And God says, now... Your war is going to be always on your doorstep, which also makes me think is getting to be a little bit older that I don't want to be an Azza who does so well for decades after decades after decades and then blows it in the end. Azza dies by a foot disease, if you know the rest of the story, and it says he went to the physicians, but it says he never sought God's help. He was like, I'm mad at you, God. He was jerks to everybody after this episode. And he has this foot disease and the implications if he had just humbled himself, said, God, help me out with my foot disease. There would have been an answer, but he won't do it. He goes down fist in hand. And some of us can be grumpy old people, fist in hand. We can even do that and become, go to church every week and do all the church things, but we have fist in hand. That's what Asa does. God's looking alert to the inside. God's capacity to you, to see you. Very obviously, he sees, he sees, he sees what's going on. He tells Jesse, find this other person. We're not going to sit down. The eighth son, find him. And so he, God sees not only 
us, but he sees where a person is. David is off shepherding. And that reflection of shepherding would show up as he becomes a shepherd of the nation. It's going to take some time. God's going to do some more training. But he knows where you're at. And he's going to know where you're going to be. And so he sets things in motion. So if our eyes are open, he gets us to where we're at, to where he wants us to be. And where he wants us to be is the place we ought to want to be. So we welcome what happens, the training in our life. Sometimes it's harder to accept it, but he just knows. He knows what's going on. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in, the very picture of health, bright-eyed, good-looking. It's funny, we hear these external things. Saying, God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. The only difference to me seems like he's younger. Something's different about him. God sees what's going on. God knows where you and I are at. He knows where we're at today. And life unfolds, taking that into account. So he said yes to Christ. He wants us to, to follow him. If we've not said yes to Christ, he is allowing things to happen in our life, to open our eyes so we move towards him. He's already moved towards us. He's not going to make himself put himself on us, but he is right there in arm's length with his hand extended to us. And already hinted to this, he sees how a person can be. Samuel took the flask of oil and anointed him. David's anointed two more times, one time when he becomes leader of the southern kingdom, and one time later on, seven years later, when he's king of all of Israel. But Saul Samuel takes the flask of oil, anoints him with his brothers standing there around watching. They're like, what is going on? Uh, we'll see different stories where there's a little jealousy there. The spirit of God enters David like a rush of wind. God of vitality empowering him for the rest of his life. Old Testament, you see that the Spirit comes on and can go off like in Saul. New Testament, God joins your life and he is there forever, empowering you for the life that he's called you to live. He, lets, he knows where you're at and who you are growing to be, and you have that within you. Peter is talking about we have everything we need to follow him. Later on, it says this about David. David shepherded them with integrity, claimed values, lived values, all matching up. Boy, we wish we had more of that in politics, but we wish we had more of that in Christianity. So with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led him. So the last thought to think about is this. God sees your interior, sees my interior. Do you see it? Are you mindful of it? Am I mindful of it? Do, am I mindful of my interior, my heart life? Or do I wait till it rears its ugly head? Ooh, where'd that come from? That came from my heart. That's in there. Yes, it is. I need to work on that under the leadership of God in my life. God sees our interior, and he wants to fine-tune it. Do you see it? Do I see it? So 
Lord has sought out a man, a person, a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people. A man after his own heart. Heartbeat matches God's beat. God does that, we do that. There's this mystery that takes place, but there's responsiveness. And is our heart moving in a direction that is aligned with God. So three basic questions that just jump out of this little story, uh, just random in some ways, but not random in other ways. First of all, are you being judgmental rather than using good judgment? Are you being judgmental? Are you looking at the exterior rather than using good judgment? Do you know there's another side to the story? Do you know there's something else? The, person, the way the person's responding or reacting is, is, is something about their heart. And so you don't judge that in a, in a negative way. You just go, oh, I get, I get that. Maybe I'm getting a message here and, and, and I need to understand that. But I don't look down on that person. I just use good judgment. That verse that talks about don't judge lest ye be judged, it doesn't mean you throw decision-making out the door. It doesn't mean you, you don't make a call when you see something happen. It means that you don't use a tone of being judgmental. And the greatest thing about all this kind of thing is that God is the final judge. You don't have to worry about making the final call. You just have to worry or be concerned to be aware of yourself. Lots of verses talk about this. Stop judging by the way things look. Be fair and judge by what is really right. That again means your interior life must be moving in a certain direction. I think I mentioned this maybe even last week, but the idea of you know, making decisions out of a growing relationship with God, not a just a Sunday to Sunday message or a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But, but why would I make a decision without all the resources of walking with God? Should, I should be nervous about doing that. So I want to uh, do things by what is really right, and I have to have a thriving relationship with God to, to be able to do that. Um, another translation says the same verse, don't be nitpicking, use your head and heart, discern what is right to test what is authentic. Help me with that. Yeah, see, oh, you're just as bad as me. Good. Thank you. Thank You just did that on purpose. Thank you. You know what I mean. Genuine. You got it. All right. Uh, you know, and then we could take a look. We're not going to take a look. I challenge you to look at Matthew 7, 1 through 6 out of the message. It says really gets kind of in your mind, in your face a little bit about judging. And then we also asked ourselves, are you using the internal to impact the external? Another way of saying this is... Uh, is my doing coming from my being? Are you using the internal to impact the external? Or is your external always playing catch up with the internal, because or your internal is playing catch up with your external, because you're, you're, you're trying to do things where your heart really isn't, where your heart should be, so it doesn't mean you pull back from everything, but, but your heart, you know there's a disconnect there. And uh, the idea of David, David would, be, would rule as an expression of his heart. Um, each of you should use whatever gift you have received from God to serve others as faithful stewards 
of God's grace in its various forms. So basically, you've got to use who you are, understanding it's from God, and it's God's grace, and you should be excited about that. I should be excited about that. So the internal uh, shows up externally. I have to do this. I'd get in trouble if I didn't. You've seen this slide before. Interested in volunteering at SCC. There's lots of things to get done. And uh, it's not just about the things to get done, but it's the things to get done in your heart, in my heart. And when I'm not serving, when I'm not giving myself away, there's a disconnect with my faith. My faith's supposed to be external. It's supposed to show up on the outside with the way I live and the way I give and the way I'm generous. So think about that. Uh, a lot of things happen here, but again, it's not about just filling jobs. It's about filling our hearts because we need to serve as a reflection of what is going on in our life. Lastly, are you allowing your internal identity in Christ to become your external identity? Do you realize the outside is important? Uh, I think I have a verse there that I didn't read. It talks about, uh, you know, exercise is a benefit, is, but spiritual exercise, exercising godliness is more benefit. So it's, it's not saying you just stop doing any exercise. You ought to be healthy because when you're healthy, then you have more to use in your life. But this idea of my identity isn't, is in my eternity, in my internal uh, walk with God. John says it this way, he was in the world, that's Jesus, the world was there through him and yet didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. And the question is, are you functioning in your true self as a child of God's self? Is your identity in that? Is my identity in that? Is it what I have, what I can do, and, and all of that? But is it based in my relationship with God, and then it overflows into my life? Am I using what God has made me to be? Last night, last week, we had this point, but I thought it was a great bottom, bottom line for this week. Your interior is superior to your exterior. Your interior is superior to your exterior. Don't get it flip the other way and we live in a world that's got it flipped the other way so friends god sees our hearts he sees you he knows you he wants you engaged with him he's not going to force himself and if you feel like everybody in this world is just seeing right through you no fear, because your God loves you so much that he sees you, knows you, and even understands you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this story and the way it, it sheds light into our life. I pray that you'd help us wherever we're at, any age or stage or, or where we're at with our spiritual journey, that we would see what you have in this story for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.